Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. All right, so why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to look at verses 1 to 13. Um, I, I mean it, I really feel a tremendous amount of life on what we're going to speak into today. It's really going to lead us actually into, I think, uh, some discussions for the weeks to follow. And I, I want to um, just, I, I implore you to just to stay through this message. I really think, again, this is um, something that can really just deal with some deep stuff that we're walking through as a church in the hour that we are living in. Uh, I want to encourage you that all that's happening has really, has really confronted me with my need to, to press in more to the return of Jesus and really understanding some of these things when it, what, that we would typically call end times. And I'm not saying that it's happening tomorrow. I'm, I, I'm, I understand Jesus says we don't know the, the hour, but we can discern the season. And it's just there's a lot that's going on that has really just provoked my heart. And I want to encourage everyone that's listening to dive into that. Um, you have the, obviously the book of Revelation, and I think a lot of times we can stay away from these things because there's so much gray area. And so we, we, we enter into studies like that with humility. We understand that there's a lot that we just don't fully grasp, and we don't take this position of if you don't see it from my perspective, then like you're just lost. Like No, we understand that there's a lot of things that we don't fully grasp, and we're doing our best to take stances, and it's okay to have your positions, but man, we come with fear and trembling that, that we don't fully grasp this. But I feel like what God is after is, yes, we want to be, we want to seek after having something that's correct, but I really feel like he's after hunger. And, and, and so I just want to encourage you that if you get discouraged by saying, I don't know if the way I'm seeing this is correct, I feel like God is really saying, I, w- I just want your hunger. I want you to seek me. And, and just in that, there's a reward and a blessing for that. So I encourage you to dive into books like Revelation, Daniel. I've been reading Daniel speak so much about returning of the Son of Man. Uh, I encourage you to look at First uh, and Second Thessalonians. And then in the Gospels, there's a few places where Jesus speaks a lot about his return. And we're actually going to look at one of those, which is, again, Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. And this, this story, this is a parable uh, given about 10 virgins. And I'm going to get into it in, in just a moment. Some of you may be familiar with it, but it's, it's a really beautiful uh, picture, I think, of how the church is going to respond and function in, in these end times. And here's, here's where, what I want to share with you. This is really, really important is that you need some context here. Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, it's actually one sermon. And we miss this. I've missed this a lot because we have chapter breaks in our Bible that are not inspired by man, but they I'm inspired by God, but they do help us to navigate. But at the end of the day, what can happen is we can allow these these man-made breaks to to break the flow of what is actually happening. And so Matthew 24, Matthew 25 is actually one continuous message. And it's really, really important because this is Jesus' primary teaching on the end times. It's his primary teaching on what will happen. This is actually really his last public teaching before he will go to the upper room where he will sit down with his disciples. He'll have the upper room discourse, but nothing will be like this. It won't see this again. And so this is really significant as to what Jesus will share. And Matthew 24, Matthew 25, all of it is really shaped 
the flow of it is actually a response to a question that the disciples ask Jesus. In Matthew 24, verse 3, and you need to follow this so you understand the, uh, the context, really, of Matthew 25. I'm just going to give you the cliff notes. Verse 3 of 24 is when the disciples asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? In other words, the disciples are asking, what will be the signs, the markers that will begin to tell us that we're drawing near to your return? Like driving down the road and you see markers that say 5, 10, 15 miles, whatever it may be, you're approaching a destination. What will those markers be? And Jesus actually gives tangible signs. And he talks about famines, earthquakes, wars, rumors of war, pestilences, upheavals, persecution will rise. He talks about apostasy will take place. Like he shares a lot of things. He says men's hearts will faint with fear because of what is about to come. I'm sharing this because I feel like we are seeing these things happen on a, uh, in an unprecedented manner on a global scale when we look at the last few years. And it's really incredible. And Jesus sets the stage that this time will be marked by great, great resistance. But at the same time, I believe there's going to be a great revival that comes through this. Like it's going to, Jesus is clear. It's not my words. There are things that are going to be dark. It says immorality will just seem to be running loose. But at the same time, the brightness of the church will be something that we have never seen. And what happens is, is that in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is continuing this message of responding to that question of what will the signs be. And he begins to give other signs. And we don't always make this connection, but he gives four parables. And one that we're going to be looking at is the parable of these ten virgins. And what we're going to see is Jesus, Jesus says the key for the church is to get oil, I'm going to talk about buying oil today and something that I've just never really seen. Like this is a season where we need to be buying oil. Jesus says over and over, when I was reading through First uh, and Second Thessalonians, Matthew 24, Luke 21 this week on my own, I saw something that I never really caught. Jesus' primary message to the church when it comes to him drawing near is to stay alert, stay awake, be ready. He says it over and over. He never addresses that to Pharisees. He never says that to Sadducees. He never uses that language of being alert, be ready. He never uses it to unbelievers. It's always addressed to the church. Very, very important. And in this, we find that one of the ways in which we stay ready is this idea of buying oil, cultivating oil as we're waiting for the bridegroom to return. So we've got to set that in its, in its proper context because this is really significant of what Jesus is saying and how we ought to respond. So I feel that Matthew 25, this parable, is actually in many ways, it's a prophetic picture of what the church is going to be functioning like when Christ comes back. And we're going to see what the church is supposed to be doing and how it's supposed to be properly responding when it sees all of these signs that we're seeing now. What is the church supposed to be doing? So I pray that this would help you navigate through this season. So here we go. I'm going to read this fully through. It's 13 verses, and then we're just going to break open a few key pieces here. The title of this, if you want to give a title, is Buying Oil. Now just, just read this. Follow along with me. It says this. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, 
they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom, verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Verse 7 says that all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Trim your lamps means to you trim your wick, which allows you to pull up the oil so that you have a bright, shining light. If you don't do that, your light will be uh, kind of a smoky look. It'll be dim. So they trim their lamps. But verse 8 says, the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going out to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready, so important, it says in Revelation with the Last Supper, with the, with the marriage feast, it says they were ready. This is all connected to end times. They were ready. Those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Verse 11, afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. This is intimacy. Verse 13, here it is again. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So to just to kind of grasp the big picture on this is Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven during this time to these, this symbolic story of these ten virgins. And he makes this clear distinction. He says five of them are wise, five of them are foolish. The distinguishing mark is simple. It's about oil. Those that cultivate oil, those that buy oil as they are waiting for the bridegroom to return, he says those are the wise ones. And in the end, you find out that those that were cultivating, buying oil are essentially going to be those that are alert, prepared. They're connected with God. They're not going to drift off to to uh, just, just trying to numb the pain of what is happening because Jesus said the pressure of this hour will become so intense that you have to stay connected with him. And those that do, he says, when he comes back, they will be invited into this wedding feast, right? That's the big picture here. And I'm gonna break down the, some of the particulars in a moment, but I wanna just, I wanna share something that, man, it just leapt off the page to me. And it's in this first verse. In the first verse, Jesus, when he gives this parable, he says, then... Then the kingdom of heaven will be likened to ten virgins with their lamps, right? What is then? <laughs> then refers to Matthew 24. So in other words, Jesus says, when you see all of these signs of wars, rumors of wars, when you see earthquakes happen, when you see pestilence, when you see apostasy, when you start to see these then, at that time, there is going to be another sign that emerges, he says the kingdom of heaven will operate like this, ten virgins. This story is a picture of a wedding feast. In other words, one of the signs that we are drawing near to the coming of the Lord is we will see the church operating in bridal identity. It is something that honestly has been very obscure in the church. There hasn't been a lot of understanding about it. But what this says is that Jesus says, here's a sign. You want to see another marker? When you start to see people coming into awareness of what it means to be a bride, this is a sign that I am drawing near. And Jesus, listen, Jesus is, he's Lord, he's Savior, he's healer, he's all of these things. And he can be, he can come in a certain way without denying those other things. He's always those things. But what this is saying is that there is going to be, I believe, a primary lens that the church is going to be seeing Jesus and engaging with him as we draw near to his return. 
And it's going to be seeing him as the bridegroom God and us as the bride. And there, I believe there are individuals, there are certain ministries that are, are beginning to engage in this. But I believe we will see more and more as shakings intensify, there's going to be also a, an increase in the church on a global scale coming into awareness of being the bride of Christ. We need to be established in this identity of what it means to be a bride because this is the identity primarily of the church when Christ returns. In fact, I feel so moved by this that from from today, I feel like where we need to go, I'm almost 100% positive, is we're going to go into the Songs of Solomon from here and really begin to unpack what it means to, to be a bride. We need to get used to that language because Jesus can come many ways, but he's going to come as a bridegroom. And if we don't understand how a bridegroom speaks and what that looks like, we can deny that it's Jesus speaking to us. And we want to understand this. Contrary to what so many think when they hear of a bridal identity, it is not a church that is weak. It is not a church that is powerless. It's far from that. For love is the greatest motivator. Love is love leads people to the craziest of sacrifices, to the deepest of obedience. This church will be a powerful church because they will be possessed by the beauty of Christ. They will not treat immorality uh, lightly just because we're not saying primarily we're looking at Jesus as, as Savior in those lens. No, no, no. We will be so captivated by his beauty that we will give everything to him. I believe this is a mark that we are coming into. And to show scripture, interpret scripture, Revelation 22 verse 17 Literally, the last, I mean, this is only a few verses before the, the Bible ends. Many of you, we, we've shared this before, but it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. It's not the Spirit and, and the warrior church, although we are. It's not the Spirit and the sons and daughters, although we are that too. It's the Spirit and the bride say, Come. There is something about the church coming under this, this umbrella or this covering as a bride that is so connected to the return of Jesus Christ. And that's what's being expressed in this parable. Jesus says, here's a sign. Here's another sign in all of these things I just shared. And we have to see, Matthew 25 is connected to Matthew 24. Here's another sign. You're going to see a church that begins to operate like a bride. Hosea, this is fascinating. All Minor prophets are sometimes really hard to read because they often fluctuate between talking about things that are being immediately fulfilled in their time, and then they talk about things that will be uh, fulfilled when the Lord returns. And so you have to really study and be careful because the prophets can fluctuate sometimes line by line. Hosea, in chapter 2, verse 16, switches to the day of the Lord's return. And you know what he says? He says, in that day, the Lord says, in that day, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. He is master. He is Lord. He's all of those things. But what it's saying is there's something that's going to shift as we draw nearer to the return of the Lord where the church is going to primarily say he's my husband. It's amazing because we, there's certain people that we, uh, we look up to and, and, and uh, that we that definitely like glean a lot from. And it's just incredible that I've never put this together where this is like a common theme of really walking in bridal identity. It says in the last four chapters of Revelation, there's three primary ways that Jesus will be revealed. He'll be revealed as king, which refers to power. He'll be revealed as uh, a judge, which refers to zeal. Like 
we have a misunderstanding of judge. Thank God he is a righteous judge. He has zeal to confront everything that is not in alignment with what he has for us. So we're like, thankfully, he's a judge that comes to deal with sin in our life out of the sake of love for intimacy with us, right? But then Revelation says there's one other thing. King is power, judge is zeal, but he'll, be, he'll come as bridegroom, which is desire. This is, will be the mark. There's going to be a, a husband that's coming back with a desire for his bride. And the Lord was speaking to me that he's going to come back for a bride that is equally yoked. When we speak about natural uh, marriage, the scriptures say we need to be equally yoked with, with your partner. What does that mean? It means we need to be in alignment with them, right? We have the same passion for God. We have similar values, right? We're operating in a very similar place of maturity when it comes to what we want in life. You're equally yoked. When Jesus returns, the bridegroom will have this burning desire for a bride. The equally yoked will mean that he will find a bride that has an equal desire for him. Their hearts will be burning for him just as his heart is burning for them. In fact, I think this is a major part of what it means that they were made ready. A ready bride is a heart that begins to burn for the bridegroom. Bridal, this is, I just want to say this because this is really so important. Bridal, bridal identity, it's, it's, it's a covenant realm of intimacy. It is not a matter of gender. And this is where we get messed up. It doesn't matter if you're masculine or feminine. Just as sonship invites daughters in, it's, that's a picture of relationship and being co-heirs with Christ. Being a bride to, to Jesus is not emphasizing gender. It's emphasizing proximity to his heart. It's emphasizing a nearness to him. And what Jesus is saying is there's coming a time where you're going to see in an, in an unprecedented way such a nearness of the church to my heart in a way that you have never seen it before. And as a result, I believe language is going to shift in the church soon. I believe we're going to start hearing more uh, things about purity. Like there's going to be this thing where I says, I, I want to be that pure virgin, consecrated, set apart for my lover who is Jesus. And again, it's not going to be by being forced, but it's going to be we're so captivated by him that we just love him with all that we have. I believe words like adoration, behold, wholeheartedness, like faithfulness, these are words that will become a staple in the language of the church. I believe fasting will come back in a way that we have not really seen, and I will believe it will not be this dead, dry religious thing, because Jesus said in Matthew 9 that when the bridegroom leaves, the bride will begin to fast out of a bridal ache. Like these are going to be shifts that begin to take place. I believe the church will be marked by eager expectation and eager waiting. Imagine a bride who, who's getting ready to be married. It's all she can talk about to the point that it's almost annoying. <laughs> That's all she wants. That's all she talks about, right? I even heard someone say, how strange would it be if coming up to her wedding day, she hadn't done anything to get ready? She didn't buy a dress or do what she was supposed to. Wouldn't you say, that's probably not the right guy for you? Do you really love him? It would be strange for a bride not to get ready for that. And there's going to be a shift where there's going to be such an eager expectation that Maranatha cry of, come, Lord, the spirit in the bride saying, I want him. I believe um, <laughs> this is going to be just a, a, a beautiful time where the church is going to operate in such profound depth. You know, actually, as, as I'm just thinking about this right now, here's another illustration the Lord gave me. He gave me this picture of, imagine a, a husband who's been uh, away for 
a number of uh, days on a business trip, right? And he gets, he, he is flying home, and he flies home out of state. And when he, when he gets just on the, on the runway and he lands, he immediately texts his wife and says, I just landed. I don't know how long bags will take. I don't know how long traffic's going to be, but I will be home soon, right? That wife, she doesn't know the exact hour that he is returning, but guess what? Every car that drives by that house, she will be peeking her head out the window saying, is it him? This will be the mark of the church. Something about this bridal identity where every other distraction will just be cast aside. There's going to be such a singleness of mind and eye on the Lord. And as I was just about to say, there's going to be unique depth to this church I believe that the spirit in this bridal generation, this is what we're going to go into the next few weeks, in this bridal identity, what we're going to see is the spirit of God is no longer going to just be taking us to a place where we know that we're forgiven of sins. Now, let me be clear. You can't go deeper with the Lord until you understand that you are helpless without him, until you realize that self must be renounced and cast yourself fully on Jesus as Savior. You have to know those things. But I believe for so long, this has, this has been the place that the church has stayed. And I believe the spirit, as we enter into this bridal identity, is going to take us beyond just avoiding the bad things. It's going to be more, of, it's not just going to be about avoiding stumbling blocks. It's not just going to be about, yes, I'm forgiven, but it's going to be about now plunging into union with Christ and really growing in the depths of intimacy with him. There is going to be such a depth to this church because of this, and honestly, they're going to need this because Jesus said the darkness will abound to such a degree. There'll be such pain and darkness in these times that it's going to, it's going to require a church that has been with him. Like self-help sermons won't be able to deal with this anymore. Memorized statements will not be enough. It's going to have to be a people who have history with God, who know him, and then speak from that place with life. And I just, I just sense, like, this is the, the place that we are, are moving into. Uh, last thing I'll share in this. I believe the depth of this church will, be, will also be seen in the fact that our activity will no longer be an, be extend past our intimacy with God. In other words, we, diligence is good, but what can happen is our diligence can actually exceed past our connection with God. That's when you can get really shallow. That's when you can get really religious. That's when you can get really hurt. We get busy, 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 but it's not in proportion to our intimacy. And I believe this church is going to have such a depth because our intimacy and influence are going to go hand in hand. So I know I shared a lot, but I'm just stirred by that on the bridal identity, and we're going to go into that in weeks to come. But that's what Jesus is saying is this is a sign. This is another sign, guys continue his message, this is how you know I'm coming. It's going to be like this wedding feast and the church is going to operate as a bride. But I want you to see this. This is so crucial. Who are these ten virgins? And in particular, who are these five foolish virgins? We have to see, if, depending on how we answer this, completely changes the way we see what is being uh, asked of the church and what's being uh, what does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to stay alert? What does it mean to purchase oil? Because for me, and I feel like for a lot, we typically think of the five foolish are unbelievers and the five wise are believers. And the oil is just a matter of being born again. And if that's the case, when Jesus comes to a church and says, stay alert, stay ready, buy oil, all he means is be born again, just get saved. That is not what's happening here. And when we start to understand what's happening, it's going to shift an urgency of what it means to cultivate and buy oil in this time. And honestly, he uses 
some strong language at the end that has really confronted me on things I've even like just thought of, of what can happen if we just don't engage with the Lord in this time where things get more intense around us. And so I want to I use scripture to show you this. I don't want you to just take this from my word. I want you to see this, that these virgins, I believe, represent the church. Here are six quick things. 2 Corinthians 11.2. I'm going to share this because you don't need to turn there, but this is important. All of these, all, all of these, uh, all of these individuals in this parable, they are referred to as virgins. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.2, listen to what he says. He says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. This is one of the great blessings of being born again. Is What that means is it's an imagery for being undefiled, pure, washed clean. Paul says to the church, only those who have put their faith in Jesus can be called virgins. No unbeliever was ever called uh, a virgin being washed and cleansed. That would be, uh, you know, blasphemy to the gospel. Only those who, who put their faith in Jesus does the Father look at him and say, he is like or she is like a pure virgin in my sight because of his blood. Super important. Only the church is referred to this way. Number two, the virgins were referred to or, or they were defined as foolish. They were not defined as evil, immoral, or wicked. Now, that can happen. Foolishness can lead you to some bad places, but that's not how they're defined. Number three, we typically say, well, the spirit is just being born. The oil is just about being born again. And therefore, the five foolish, they didn't have, this, they didn't have the oil at all. That's not what this says. Look at verse 8 in, in the parable. When they awaken to the bridegroom coming, it says the foolish go to the wise and say, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. That means in the Greek to quench or to extinguish, which means you cannot extinguish something you've never had it. There's an oil that they already possess. This is very, very important. And it says it's actually going out. Number four, when the bridegroom comes, all of the virgins go out to meet him. Other scriptures that I've read when it comes to Jesus' return, you never see unbelievers or those who superficially confess Jesus being eager for his return. There's something about this people that they're saying he comes and they're saying we're connected with him. Number five, I think this is super important. And again, I'm going through this because I want you to see this because this is a really important distinction. Number five is that ten is deeply symbolic. Ten in the scriptures has all numbers have meaning. And ten means the totality of something or the completion. For example, there are ten commandments. This is the totality of God's law. There are ten plagues. This was the totality or the completion of God's judgment and deliverance. And the fact that there are ten virgins mean that this is the totality of the church. This is the full picture. Jesus is saying, guys, in the end times, when I'm drawing near, here's a picture of the entire spectrum of the church. This is what it will be like. And some will be wise and some will be foolish. And the last thing is that in verse 13, Jesus uses that language again of watch therefore. And again, if you allow scripture to interpret scripture, he never says watch, stay alert, be ready to unbelievers. It's always to the church. Now, I, I had to take time on that because we've got to settle that, that this is actually the church because now it shifts everything when it comes to buying oil, staying ready, and being alert. And what we see is that Jesus provides a picture of the totality of the church and of believers. 
And Jesus says, guys, in the end times, as I'm drawing near and there's rumblings and there's shakings, here's another sign. The church is going to look like this. And Jesus says there's going to be this, this split. Not that it's going to necessarily be 50-50, but he's just saying that there will be uh, two groups. He makes it so simple. And there will be a, this mark that severs right between these two groups. Some will be wise, he says, and some will be foolish. And he says there's just one thing that will separate them, those who buy oil and those who don't. This is super important. These are the words of Jesus. He says, guys, when you start feeling the pressure, if you can just sense in your heart something's happening, listen to me, you want to be wise, you buy oil. He does not say this is the time now to perfect your social media presence. There's nothing wrong with that. Use it to make him known, but not at the expense of buying oil. He says, he makes wisdom so simple. He says, buy oil. It's not about your social media presence. It's not about your educational level. It's not about your networking ability. Jesus says one thing. He says, buy oil in this time. This is a season of buying oil. I feel the grace of God for the church because things have been shut down that we have more time to be with him and purchase oil and stay connected with him. What, so what is the oil, right? These are the two questions we'll finish out with answering is what is the oil and how do you buy it? Those are important questions. Practically, what does that look like if that's what we're supposed to be doing? Well, think about what this, this um, parable said. It says that all the virgins have lamps. Okay, so lamp has light, which is something external. So as they would walk, there would be an external light that others could see and would impact others. The scriptures talk about individual believers and the church. There being a light emphasizes godly works, like a city on a hill. Godly works and godly character are two primary things. So what you have is something that is external, that burns bright for others to see, and that can impact others. But that external activity is actually being fueled by something you can't see. That is the oil. The oil, you can't see it, but it's, it's what leads to the, the bright shining. The oil is the intimacy with God. This is what produces the outward shining, right? And because Jesus says the times will increase in darkness, you've got to be with him cultivating oil in intimacy. Oil is not just the spirit. It's really, it's emphasizing the effects of the spirit. Like a lot of times you see oil emphasized as this anointing power. That's an effect of the spirit. Here, it's, it's the oil. It's, it's talking about the spirit, but the effects of it. I believe it's speaking to zeal, passion, how the, how the oil of the spirit tenderizes a person's heart to stay soft to the Lord, to stay connected, to stay engaged, to stay ready with his eyes locked on him. The Lord says we need to purchase and cultivate oil in this time to stay connected, to have our voice or our ear inclined to his voice more than ever before. This, this is a time to buy oil. It is not a time for apathy. It is not a time for uh, being unmotivated. That's what I feel like the Lord is saying to me. This is not a time to be busy and distracted. It's not a time to be binging. This is a time to be purchasing oil. That's not my words. Jesus says this. Like he says, guys, this is what you have to do. All of your responsibilities, okay, but you got to make sure that you're purchasing oil. He says, or, or else you'll fall asleep. And I'll put it this way. You remember a few months ago, I shared a, um, from Luke 21. Luke 21 um, was a text that goes right in hand with Matthew 24. It's the same text, except uh, Luke adds a few different things. And in that text, uh, Luke, when it gets to verse 34, Jesus addresses the disciples. 
And when he comes to them, he says, guys, after all these signs, he says, now watch your hearts. He says, guard your hearts, lest you be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. He's speaking to the church. Remember we shared that idea of being weighed down is the sorrow that the disciples felt in the Garden of Gethsemane. They, they, they were, it says they were exhausted and sleeping because they were filled with sorrow. Jesus is saying, guys, if you're not careful to the church, if you're not careful, what's going on around you will get on the inside. And you will be weighed down by sorrow. You'll look to carousing, which is just binging. You'll try to find ways to escape and just self-medicate and numb yourself to all of the pain that's going on. His antidote in verse 36 was watch and pray. He says this over and over. Watch and pray so that you can escape all that is about to happen. Watch, engage your mind, discern the season, pray, keep your heart connected with me. He says if you do that, you'll escape what's about to happen. Not that you'll bypass it, but you'll not succumb to it. It It won't crush you. You'll actually transcend it as you walk through it. So the question is here, this is where I want to finish this last question, is how, how do you buy oil, right? This is super important. If Jesus is saying, guys, there's going to be a split in the church, and again, I'm not saying that he's saying 50-50. He's just saying there's two groups, and he says, make sure if you want to be wise, if you're going to really transcend, if you're going to come above everything that's going to swirl around, because Matthew 24 says it will be the greatest tribulation. Um, there, these are just birth pains. It actually gets more intense, but again, I believe revival will be so beautiful. Actually, Ray, you could hold on that for a sec, please. Thanks, man. So the question becomes, how, how do you buy oil? And I think this. This sounds strange because buying oil sounds like you have to earn something. That's not what he's emphasizing. But the reason why he uses buying is because it's costly. That's the emphasis. Is You can't earn this, but what he's saying, it will be costly. I hate even using that because what you get in return is so far better. But what he's saying is, guys, you've got to come off the fringes of, of just being one foot in, one foot out with me. This is his message. This is buying oil means you need to plunge fully into me and make a decision to say, I'm no longer going to just have Jesus as something that's tacked on to the end of my week. He's going to be everything. And what he's saying is, even the church, if that's not your position, things will get so intense. It will be hard, so difficult for you to walk through this. And so the scripture that came to mind is Isaiah 55.1, where, where the Lord says, come buy wine and, uh, and wine and milk, he says, without cost. He says, you have no money, come and buy. This gives us the picture, how do you buy? By coming. It's just that simple. He is inviting us in this season to come and buy, not with money, just by opening our hearts to him by being vulnerable and and being humble enough to recognize he has something that I can't find it anywhere else and I need it. I need oil. In this case, it was milk and honey. Whenever you see God say buy, there's always something personal that the church needs and he always says, but you can only find it in me. And so it's this position where we just come, we acknowledge our need, our lack, and that he is the source. Verse eight of of the parable we read, the foolish try to borrow the oil. Right? They said, give us some of yours. What that means, see, we can impart a lot of things to each other. I believe that. Paul says, I, I'm eager to, to uh, give you a gift when I come. He's talking about a spiritual gift, impartation. I believe in that. However, I cannot impart my personal history with God to you, and you can't do the same to me. Spiritual preparation is not transferable. You've got to get this for yourself. I love podcasts. 
I love when I have the opportunity to sit in a church building and receive from someone. I'm edified. I'm stirred. But at the end of the day, it does not replace me sitting at his feet. You cannot buy oil um, on the run. You've got to be deliberate and intentional to sit with him. And there is a grace in our season right now to get away with him and purchase oil. That's what I felt in my heart. The Lord is saying, now is the time to buy. The, the, the foolish had it and it started to run out, which means you need a constant supply. I love, we keep the testimonies before us from yesterday's victories, but I can't just rely on yesterday's encounters. I need fresh encounters with the Lord today. And so here's the last scripture I want to share with you. If you guys want to turn there. Revelation chapter 3, I believe it gives us a few more keys on what it means to buy oil. And I'll just share this and then um, we'll pray. Revelation chapter 3, verses 18 to 20. This is super, super important. And so we've established, right, these ten virgins represent the entirety of the church. Jesus says there's a split, wise and foolish. It's all a matter of buying oil. Buying oil, we're just coming, recognizing a need, coming to him. And here in Revelation, we see some, uh, uh, just some, I think some extra language that helps us practically to understand how we buy. I'm not going to go into the entirety of this letter, but this is super important that we understand this. Revelation chapter 3, there's seven letters to seven churches. We did a whole series on this when we first started. And each church is an, is an historical church. However, it is also widely believed, and I hold to this, that each church represents a, a certain age in church history. So Ephesus would be like the very early church, which means Laodicea becomes representative of our age, which means this will be really what the issues of the church will be in our age before the Lord returns. And it's interesting because what he confronts in this church is lukewarmness, complacency, indifference, uh, lethargy, just, just um, this place of just self-sufficiency and saying, I'm, I'm good. In fact, Jesus says, and he comes like such, he has such zeal for his church to be overcomers. There's so much love in this address. And he comes and says, guys, you say that you're good, you're rich, you have all that you need. He says, but I, I actually, I, I see you. And actually you're naked, you're poor, and you're blind. And then he says this. This is his advice in verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. There it is again. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I just want you to see this for a second. There's like three things I want to point out real quick. That, that first verse, Jesus is addressed to a church that has fallen to a place of complacency. I see these five foolish virgins. Like Jesus said, this is the age of the church we live in. He comes and says, you need to buy gold from me. You need to buy clothing. You need to buy salve. In other words, there's personal things the church needs, but it's only found in Jesus. You can't find this anywhere else. And Jesus says, I counsel you. We need heaven's wisdom to say, you need to find this in me. Today, we need oil. But what we need is found in him, and the one who contains what we need comes to us. He actually stands at the door and says, here I am. He makes it so simple. <laughs> we don't need the assistance of all these other things. 
I feel like some people feel like Jesus is, is like, where's Waldo? And he's saying, you need oil. And, and where, where do I find him? Where do I find Jesus? How do I cultivate this oil? Jesus says, guys, you need oil, and here I am. I make myself available to you. You don't need to go searching in some crazy places. Like, I am here, and I offer myself up to you. And he tells this church, he says, verse 19, those whom I love. He says, I love you. I am faithful to you. I want you. And there's things in your life that has to go. They cannot remain. And so his, his response to that is, uh, uh, be earnest and repent. I believe this starts to give language as, as another way of how we come to buy. Be zealous. Why? Because the one who is zealous for you is coming after you. So be zealous in return to offer your heart up to him and repent. What does that mean to repent? In this case, it's very simple. It means seeing you as Jesus sees you. The church said, I see ourselves this way. Jesus says, no, guys, you actually look like this. Jesus says, so repent. In other words, come under my leadership. Come under the way that I see you. Trust the way I see you. Trust that I love you. Allow me to deal with your heart. Come fully unto me. To, to repent here is stop buying from other places. Stop coming to other places. Like turn from the things that you've deemed as the source of your strength and look wholly unto me and buy from me what you can only get from me. You can't find it anywhere else. And then finally he says in that verse 20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus, I love this, I stand and I knock. He takes this position of remaining there. It's, it's a present tense, meaning I continue to stand, I continue to knock. I, I just sense the grace of the Lord on this, saying, man, here I am. He's looking at us. He's looking at individuals. He's looking at churches. He's saying, you need oil. You need to buy it from me. Now's the season, and I am here. How does he knock? What does that mean? He says, uh, uh, when I knock, he says, and those who hear my voice, the knocking is a voice. It's the voice of Jesus saying, open, come to me, come away with me. Like, rearrange your schedule, change the priorities of your life to be with me. You need this in this hour. Actually, I, I feel um, I want to do something different for those, if you can. Can I have the worship team come back up? For those of you watching from home, I just, again, I, I encourage you to just stay for a moment here and... Um, and really engage with uh, just this time of um, this time of worship. I, I just really feel the Lord is calling us to to worship for a moment and to let the Lord really confront us. To let the Lord meet us where we are. I I just I feel that we need to come under His leadership. We need to repent, meaning we need to see as he sees. I just sense, um, I just sense the, the, the zeal of the Lord for his church to buy oil. And I know I, I just need to receive this. Uh, there's been so many places that I've just looked to uh, as, as just false sources of this, and they can't give it. And I just sense the Lord is just saying to renounce those things as your strength. In fact, so much of what we have deemed as our strength has been stripped away in this season. And I, again, I just see the goodness of God coming through this, what the enemy meant for evil, and that the Lord wants to show us that we've looked to something in an unhealthy way, and he's saying, come. He wants to sit. He wants to die, not just a quick meal. He, he wants to engage with us. 
And this is how we keep our hearts strengthened in this season. And I don't know what future days look like. I, I don't know how everything will transpire, but I know this is what the Lord says, and we need to, we need to respond to this. And this, to me, this just blows my mind, is that Jesus' address to this church, I just see so much overlap to those ten, the, the parable of ten virgins, is that Jesus, he's, he's presented as knocking on a door, which means he's presented on being on the outside of a church. This is believers. It's not unbelievers. That's how we often present it, like open your heart and receive Christ. That's true, and that can happen right now. But this is actually Jesus on, on the door of a church saying somehow through just complacency and, and, and self-sufficiency, like I've been squeezed out of this. And it's not that Jesus has left, but our hearts have grown cold. And he actually, he finds himself on the outside. And what's just interesting, and I've been stirred by this, is that Jesus does warn that in the, 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 the sign of the coming of the end of the age, one of the things is there will be great falling away, he says. And in the parable of the ten virgins, it says that those five foolish were actually found on the outside of the marriage feast. And I understand, it's like, well, what does that mean? I, I mean, that, some people say, well, that just proves that they never really belonged. Perhaps, perhaps it does. I don't know the full answers and all those things. And honestly, I'm not interested so much as trying to figure out, is there a line that I can live on and teeter on that I can live in such a, a cold state but still be his? I'm not interested in leading people that way. I want to lead people to be a burning bride. And all I know is that Jesus is offering himself to us. And if you've been distracted, if you've been busy, if you've been just looking to other things, like sports are gone. Sports have been an idol in my life. Just little things. I feel like the Lord is just saying, like, just the shakings will come, and you need to buy oil, my son. You need to get away with me. Like, he's real. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Like, he, he's established on the throne. He is the first and the last. He's, he's the yes and amen. He's everything, and we've got to plunge ourselves into him. We've got to buy oil. And I just invite you even right now. Like wherever you are, it can be just between you and the Lord. If you have someone in your home that you want to pray with, I invite you to get real, raw, honest, because he loves you. So he says, come. Come and buy from me. I just pray that there would be a shift in your life starting this day where we would be found here at Home Church faithful to be buying oil in this season. See, why don't you worship with us? Whatever that looks like for you to respond, wherever you are, just engage with him. Just engage with him. He stands here. He's available. You will accomplish more in surrender than striving. Come is just a matter of yielding to him.
If you're nervous, just tell them. Whatever's on your heart, just bring it to them. is the story of a bride in white waiting on her wedding day anticipation welling up inside well her groom is crowned a king oh death where is your sting cause we'll be there singing
Sing that again. that you are returning as a bridegroom with great desire for your bride. Jesus, we want to be equally yoked to you. We want to respond with a love that is appropriate for the love that you are pouring out on us, Lord. And so we give you free range, Lord. We yield our hearts and say, come, knock on the doors of our lives. Just confront all of the false things that we've set up as sources of strength, Jesus. We want to be a burning bride, Lord. We want, to br- we want to burn brightly for you, Lord. We want to be a people that are truly set on a hill for the world to see that will point to you, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that each and every one of us, Lord, just I ask Spirit of God to just put a holy dissatisfaction with living on the fringes of Christianity but all that we would see Jesus you spared nothing for us you gave everything and so we respond by giving everything to you Lord we want to be found as wise virgins we want to be alert we want to be ready We don't want to be caught off guard. We want to be in sync, moving to the rhythms of your voice. God, as you are coming, not just in a second coming, but in increased waves of glory before that, Lord, we want to be on the inside of that, Lord. We want to be used as forerunners and voices for that, Lord. And so I just pray, God, you refine us. Oh, Lord, be so personal with us. And reveal the things that need to go. Lord, I pray that there would just be such a, just just an absolute confidence that what we need is only found in you. The wine and the milk was found in you. The oil is found in you. The gold, the salve, it's found in you. Whatever we need, it's found in you. And I thank you that you are so available right now. So I just come against the lies of those that just feel like they can't connect with God right now. That's just a lie from the pit of hell. He has made every door open for you to hear his voice, to hear his voice. His voice is the one that can speak into graves and the dead can come out. 
How much more as a child of God can we hear his voice? He lives in you. So we just break that lie in Jesus' name. And I pray, Holy Spirit, just set a fire in hearts today. Let our hearts be, be, be found tender before you. Passionate for you, Lord. Passionate for you, Lord. And lastly, Lord, I just pray for a blessing on this body that as we move forward in weeks to come, we would learn what it means to be established as a bride. Help us to grow in this, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I just pray you've been blessed and challenged and comforted by the word of the Lord. And we look forward to being with you next week. We're going to start a series in a bridal generation going through the songs of Solomon. I think it's going to be so beautiful. And so I just encourage you to even now prepare your hearts, go in and read it. But this is a glorious time. So buy oil this week. Be with the Lord. Set aside time just to sit at his feet. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.